Cut that short. The drama. Was it father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife? Did I get that right? Okay. Justice. Now, the, the term justice has been actually uh, quite mentioned quite frequently lately in the news, right? Uh, justice for the humble Broncos, right? Uh, when uh, the, the team, uh, uh, the majority of the team players had died during that crash. Justice in terms of a plane crash, the Ethiopian plane crash, the, uh, the, and the uh, Indonesian plane crash, justice. And then justice in terms of the shootings that happened recently. Uh, so the word justice has always been coming up like uh, frequently. And so, so sometimes uh, we hear it so often that uh, how it's related to it, we define justice as that in that context. Somebody must pay. A penalty must be served. Punishment needs to be doled out. There needs to be justice. But is that justice? Is that really the word justice? Is that how you define justice? Is that there needs to be a reaction to every action? That some negative thing that we define as negative, something bad, that's how it's supposed to be? Now, I'm not downplaying uh, at all the uh, tragedies that happen. However, maybe, uh, I, I am addressing actually the word that we use, the choice of word that we're using. Because justice is actually uh, defined technically as a concept of moral rightness on ethics, rationality, law, natural law, religion, or equity. But for our case this morning, Christians, we have our own definition of justice. And it actually takes it to another higher level. And that's why I actually entitled this sermon called Higher Justice. Because our justice involves a whole different world. We see the world differently. We see the world as a world about to have the new kingdom breaking in. We have a vision of a new world without any injustice, any evil, the non-existence of evil, but a humanity that unconditionally loves each other in the presence of God. So how does justice work in that? How, how do we define justice in light of our vision of this new kingdom? Well, how should we define justice then? Because what may be, because for justice in the, today, it, they could say what may be our legal right to do something is right, but then for us as Christians, what may be a legal right may not be something that we are allowed to do. What is socially acceptable, or what is the social ills that they see, like littering or whatever, like what they see as bad, what society is bad, may not be what we see as bad. What the society sees as good may not be see, uh, what we see as good. So what they see as justice, how the, the world defines as justice, may not be how we define as justice, you follow? We have a completely different perspective, a different optic, a different thing because of how we as Christians see the world in light of what Jesus Christ has already done on the cross and what he did by conquering the grave. We see, this, we see justice, definition of justice, grace, mercy, all those words that gets used in the world, we define them differently. And notice that uh, in this uh, definition I said, Justice is also about ethos, ethics. And for us, for the world, ethics tends to be just treated as right and wrong. But for us, ethics is actually the Greek term, our whole existence. It's our very being. So in other words, when we say justice, it's actually supposed to be part of us. So how can we, so what is justice then? What is this higher justice? Well. Let's begin with our passage this morning, which the first chapter of what we're going to do is nine, chapter 19. So if you have your Bibles, 
please turn with you to chapter nine. Oh, by the way, that picture that was previous, I couldn't find any scene from that movie. That movie was so horrible. I couldn't find any good scene from that movie. I'm sorry, that's my personal opinion. It was a bad movie. Anyway, <laughs> so uh, there was no good scene in there. Anyway, personal point of view. You can take it or leave it. All right, chapter 19, verse 1. Follow me uh, as I read. When the Lord your God has destroyed the nations whose land he has given you, and when you have driven them out and settled in their towns and houses, then set aside for yourselves three cities in the land the Lord your God has given you to possess. Determine the distances involved and divide into three parts the land the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance, so that a person who kills someone may flee for refuge to one of these cities. This is the rule concerning anyone who kills a person and flees there for safety. Anyone who kills a neighbor unintentionally, without malice, a forethought. Do this so that the innocent blood will not be shed in your land, which the Lord your God has given you as your inheritance, and so that you will not be guilty of bloodshed. Some of you may have heard this term, presume innocent until found guilty, right? That's a legal term, uh, a court of law. Have you ever watched, like, a, I don't know, a law, law and Order? Does anyone even remember that show? Like, presume innocent before proven guilty, found guilty. We've heard that before many times because even in this world, we believe that when somebody gets a commitment card, they have every right to prove their innocence, to find evidence against them or uh, not against them. Much investigation needs to be done. So there's some holding back, some patience in regards to that. However, for us as Christians, we take that to the next level. Why is that? We take it into our lives because remember what I said about ethic, it's our ethos. So what does that have to do, what does this have to do, what does this passage have to do with us? Here's the thing. There are many areas in our life and encounters that we face, especially in our relationships with other people, uh, that occur, like work politics, right? Work politics, people like don't really uh, agree with you or uh, share rumors behind your back, talk behind your back, attack you in a way, show hostility, or do something wrong against you and you feel, you feel hurt. Uh, things just, or things that don't get done and you want them to get them done but they just don't do it. Or just miscommunication. You know, anger and frustration happens. Something wrong happened. Or something, the proverbial thing hit the fan. What usually happens when it, when it happens? Well, Justice needs to be done. Justice needs to be served. That person wronged me. That person deserves punishment. Justice needs to be served right away. There's no presumed innocent before found guilty, is there? There's no holding back. There's no patience, right? There's no, uh, oh, wait a minute. Let me investigate this first. No, we immediately want to find the perpetrator, don't we? We immediately want to find the wrongdoer. And usually the wrongdoer is that we already know. We have that presumption that we already know who the wrongdoer is. Well, this passage right here tells us something else. Because God, through Moses, he knew what the Israelites were like. They were like us. We live in a very trigger age. Anything that is said against us that we don't like, we get triggered. Right? And I'm sure one of your, some of your teachers who could teach in a public school system, you, you are now taught, uh, you are now told, oh, be careful with the words that you say. It might trigger some child, that, you know, type of thing. We live very, in a very sensitive age. And yet, let's face it, we are get sensitive too. If something says something bad against us, if somebody says something, we want that person to be punished. 
right? If something done against us that hurts us, we want that to be punished right away, immediacy. And so God, he knew that. He knew that his words, his principles need to be eternal and needs to be applicable to us too in this world as well because it applies to all of his chosen people. And the Israelites do have a tendency to get a little impatient too and they want justice to be served right away. However, what God says is that I, he, he cares for all of them. He loves everyone, regardless of what they've done or what they have not done. And he says to his Israel, through Moses, to his chosen people, you need to hold back. Before you let your amygdala get hijacked, please allow your frontal cortex to have a say. Does anyone know what I just talked about? <laughs> right? <laughs> your frontal cortex is here. It's like uh, we get so triggered that uh, like, we react so angrily. Our, just our little primitive evolutionary stem is right here. And we just go attack, 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 or flee, 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 right? Where we should actually just take time, take a moment, and obey the commandment in the New Testament called thou shalt cool off, right? Give it a moment, step back, and evaluate. And this is why God says here, put the, designate some area so that this person can be safe from this uh, triggered, happy individual. Because this person might be completely innocent. However, due to our nature, due to our desire to have full immediate satisfaction of revenge, of just vengeance of this, and that's how we define justice, really. As vengeance and punishment needs to be served. God says, no, I still love this individual. I want this individual to have a proper trial, to be proven, uh, to be really proven if he is indeed guilty. And so that's why he designated these areas. And so for us, our principle here today, uh, this morning, our very first principle of what higher justice is, is to actually withhold vengeance, forego our need for just this type of justice that we think needs to be done. We allow God to enact the justice. Justice is not for us to deliver. Justice is for God to deliver. But for us, we need to pursue love and patience and grace. For why, you might ask, why? Well, our calling as Christians, we are to be Christ-like, to be like God, to take on his characteristics. How many of you have experienced God's grace recently? I'm sure all of us have. How many of us have screwed up? Maybe like swore at a guy who cut you off in traffic? Maybe somebody really pissed you off at work? Maybe disappointed you, did not live up to your expectations? We sinned, yet we didn't get struck down by lightning all of a sudden. We're still alive today. You follow? God could have had every right to, fulfill, to, to shout his justice. We sinned. But he was patient. He still is patient. And he is, he is by his grace, he showed his grace to us. And therefore, he's telling us to show grace to others. For he does the same. Be perfect as, um, as my father is perfect. And that's what he meant. To follow what God does. Next. If you have your Bibles again, continue with me. We're going now into verse 14 to 15. So that's the first principle. What's the second principle about higher justice? Well, how, about those, um, how about those people who have done wrong? Well, let's go over here. Verse 14. Do not move your neighbor's boundary stone set up by your predecessors in the, in the inheritance you receive in the land the Lord your God has given you to possess. One witness is not enough to convict anyone accused of any crime or offense they have, may have committed. A matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. The judges must make a thorough investigation 
And if the witness proves to be a liar, giving a false testimony against a fellow Israelite, then do to the false witness as the witness intended to do to the other party. You must purge the evil from among you. Now we move over to 21 to 22 because it's kind of similar in a way. If someone guilty of a capital offense is to be put to death and their body is exposed on a pole, you must not leave the body hanging on the pole overnight. Be sure to bury it that same day because anyone who is hung on a pole is under God's curse. You must not desecrate the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. It's interesting, right? Okay, this person is now officially found guilty. First things first is probably we want to just really lay him out on the floor, right? Mop the floor with him, right? Just take everything away, right? Like just throw him in the slammer and forget about him. That's not God's justice. When someone is found guilty, we cannot, God says you cannot immediately remove, what did he say? A boundary stone. Now what's a boundary stone? A boundary stone is to mark a person's land. And back in the day, land, is their personhood. It's really close to a person's personhood. And what do I mean by that? Land is the very thing that keeps them alive. You know, they farm on it. They raise livestock on it. They, it's their riches, it's their wealth, it's their bank account, so to speak, too. And, and, and it's inherited and followed through by their family and families generation. So land has a lot to do with their identity. That's the Israelites' uh, uh, mentality back then. And if you read your commentaries, that same thing. Land is very closely in, in touch with their personhood. And so when they are guilty, sure, okay, they are guilty, God says, no, you can't remove that. Because God still respects their personhood. Interesting, right? Even though a person is guilty of a wrongdoing, even to murder, you cannot remove their land. You cannot take away any of their possessions that associates with their personhood. Wow, that's, a, that's different, right? Because typically back in that day, well, even until now, like sometimes we even like, try to dream up of it and wish it will be upon those who are wrong us. Fire the person, right? <laughs> like, you know, done wrong, get rid of them, right? Like, you know, they, they screwed up. They should be fired, right? Get rid of them. But God does something different. He shows grace and mercy. He says, no, do not take away their sustenance. Do not take away the land. For like, they have family there. They, have, uh, they need it there. No, don't do that. Sh respect their personhood. For I respect their personhood, God says. Very interesting. And you know what? If for those of us who are Christian, that is very gospel. For God loved us in, in spite of what we have done. He could have took everything away from us. You and I shouldn't be here for all the wrongs that we have done. For all the wrongs that we have done, we have a record, but he keeps no record of wrong. He forgives us. And he says, no, I am not going to take away your personhood. I'm not going to take away the, your sustenance. I'm showing grace to you. And therefore, he's telling his chosen people, the Israelites, and to us, that even though this person has wronged you, even though it's been proven, even though he, like, you should mop the floor with him. No, you cannot. Show some restraint. And interesting enough, why I included chapter 21, it's a similar thing. It's about even when their punishment has been given, we still respect the person hanging on the pole. The person that is being punished, the person that was fired by, by the company, the person that was uh, uh, laid off, or the person that was really in, in jail for it, 
You notice that what Christians do, we have chaplains that go to prisons. Why? It's because we still respect them as persons. Because God loves them. We, I think Janice knows one, knows the same, the same person that I know, uh, who's a, a chaplain for the prisons. He, yeah, exactly. So he visits prisons, but I didn't get, have permission for him to mention his name. So, yeah. <laughs> so, like, he visits prisons. Why? It's because God still loves them, so he loves them. To respect them as persons. You don't just forget about them. Many times we see in other parts of the world, they just forget about them. They just uh, leave them and just starve, and just, uh, that's it. Person's gone, but we actually value them. Do we value them as uh, God values them? That's point number two. Higher justice, our calling to higher justice is to respect all peoples as, what, how, as how God respects them. They, he loves them, and we should love them too, regardless what they have done or have not done. All right. And interesting enough, uh, I'm sure you've read this uh, passage, and a lot of people quote it. In uh, Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 21, it says, Show no pity, life for a life, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, hand for a hand, foot for a foot. Remember that? You remember that phrase? Well, many times uh, we see that as a horrible thing. But now that I've explained it in a, and give you the context, you actually know what it really means, is to not to put punishment in excess. For instance, if Henry stole a lollipop, will we chop off his hand? No, he has to pay back for the lollipop, <laughs> right? It's, like, it's that type of thing, where you get, as when punishment, if we are Christians and, and we say, and we have that higher calling of a higher justice, we do not exceed the necessary punishment. We do not punish in excess. This is more about limiting that, like to like of punishment, follow? And so again, respecting people's personhood. So when a perpetrator is found guilty, the punishment needs to be handed out, yet not handed out in excess of what they've done. So you notice that like for like, witness to witness, etc. All right, let's move on to chapter 20 now. Sorry, April. <laughs> chapter 29? Yes. So if you have your Bibles again, let's carry on. The officers shall say to the army, has anyone built a new house and not yet begun to live in it? Let him go home or he may die in battle and someone else may begin to live in it. Notice again, home, land, personhood. Has anyone planted a vineyard and not begun to enjoy it? Let him go home or he may die in battle and someone else may enjoy it. Again, land, personhood. Has anyone become pledged to a woman and not married her? Let him go home or he may die in battle and someone else marry her. Then the officers shall add, is anyone afraid or faint-hearted? Let him go home so that his fellow soldiers will not become disheartened too. Verse 10, when you march up to attack a city, make its people an offer of peace. Verse 12, if they refuse to make peace and they engage you in battle, lay siege to the city. Verse 15, this is how you are to treat all the cities that are at a distance from you and do not belong to the nations nearby. However, in the cities of the nations, the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. Do not leave alive anything that breathes. Oh my goodness, this is tough. <laughs> this is a really tough passage if you think about it. It's about war, right? Well, you have to remember this. Back then in the ancient times, war is work. Okay, wait, wait, okay, so. War was part of survival for a community. You follow? In order for them to expand and to expand their ethnic race, uh, sort of like our, well, mine, my, my uh, Mongolian Chan race, 
Yeah, we're from the Mongolians. Chan is Genghis Khan's race for some reason. So in order for Genghis Khan to expand his race and for my Chan line to survive, we had to conquer nations. The Chungs, sorry, baby. The Chungs, the, 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 the Ibs, the Chans just annihilated everybody. And we continue, right, Carmen? We continue to annihilate everyone. Right? So anyway, sorry, Wongs. You're just spoiled, rotten emperors. Okay, anyway, so, like, so back then, the ancient, I almost lost my train of thought there. Back then, war was meant for survival. Okay, for a race to survive, it's war. For a race to defend itself, it's war. So it's almost like today, work, right? It's like, it's, work is not, it's, you're not, you're not here to live to work, you're work to live, right? You work to survive, to provide your, yourself with sustenance. Because if a, if a little nation is stuck in this little thing, it will never grow. And sometimes it will use up its resources and it will die. So that's why the war existed back then, all right? See, this is a, so fast forward to the New Testament. It's just like slavery back then. Slavery is completely different from what slavery is today. Slavery back then is more about like just work as well. So just because Paul mentions slavery does not mean that he condones it. No, it's just what it is back then. So when God mentions war, it was it is what it was back then. It was not necessary. And war today is not like what war was before. Okay, so war. So how am I supposed to contemporize this for you to take home as a lesson? Well, I, I, here's a story. Angel knows this because we always chatted about our work. And uh, you know, for 15 years, I've been working in the retail industry. And I was a retail buyer. But my first position was a store manager. And uh, I explained to Kiefer how bad I was. You think your manager was bad? I'm worse. Anyway, so um, I'm an achiever. Somebody's laughing now. <laughs> OK, I'm an achiever. Right? I like to get things done. I'm a task-oriented person. ESTJ to the max, if you know what I mean. Right? And you know, I become so obsessed with my goals, sales targets, and hitting, uh, hitting things that I forget to respect the human side of my employees. Here's an example. Uh, it was getting close to Christmas, uh, the Christmas break, actually. And we're supposed to hit our certain target, a milestone, before we enter Boxing Day. And uh, you know, we're falling behind. And so uh, my employees, especially my sales associates, I would just go, hey, come on, right? Pick up the slack, pull up your socks, you know? Strap them on and let's get the targets. But one individual just kept on, I don't know, he was not with it, right? And it's like, come on, right? Get on the program, be a team player. <laughs> team player is more like conform. You know, it's another word for conformity. I'm like, team player, be a team player, get on board, let's do it. And he still didn't, to a point that it really irritated me. I almost, so then I almost on the verge of just actually fire him because I kept on writing him up, writing him up, for almost writing him up for the third time, you know, three strikes are out. And then one of my colleagues came up to me and goes, Ed, John, here, I got to tell you something. The guy just lost his mom like last week to cancer, all right? And then I'm like, oh boy, <laughs> right? See, I've been harping on him, leveling on him, like trying to get him to and hit my targets, yet I forgot about the human side of things. And the fun thing is, funny thing is, and I, this is a warning to all of you, a lot of people knew that I was a Christian because I, you know, they always ask what I do on a Sunday, I go to church. And seeing a manager so obsessed, seeing a Christian so obsessed with sales targets, goals, and hitting the bonus, yeah, that's a great, 
light for Jesus, right? Think about it. So here in war, when you're a general, he's talking to the leaders here. Hey, if anyone just got married or anyone just bought land, if anyone is, has a wife, these elements are about personhood, is it not? It's about life, humanity, things that humanity cares about. And, but yes, you have a goal to achieve. Yes, you have a war to run. Yes, you have a company, to, uh, company targets to hit. Yes, you have uh, alpha courses to run or, or worship practices to meet. Or uh, yes, you have like community day to run or you have a Good Friday community dinner. Yes, you have projects in front of your face. Yes, you have to like, play drums and piano. Or yes, you have to. Don't forget the human side of things. Don't forget the humanity. God says to his chosen people, and to us, do not neglect the human side of things because God cares for the human side of things. You could be so busy with your studies, your goals and achievements, you can maybe even just ignore your friends and relationships in that process. God says, don't forget the human side of things. We could even, uh, as parents, we could easily ignore our kids because we're so obsessed with our kids' achievements and try to do that, uh, get them in programs and things but maybe we have to care about their human side of things as well. God says in here, in this passage, and I think what I took from it is the human side of things because yeah, there's always going to be project deadlines, wars to battle, individual wars, but, it has to, but we cannot forget about the human side. And the second thing, what about that whole Canaanite thing about uh, uh, the just laying siege? Well, he says, well, you know, our goals, my goals, as uh, you know, wherever I go, uh, whatever job I take, uh, like whether it be at uh, Staples or Best Buy or whatever, right? Like back then, my goals was to achieve, you know, get to the highest level and everything. But is it really honoring God and being obedient to God? Is that what God really wanted? You know, like I, I had a, uh, you know, some of you may be ambitious to hit some target of yours. But you've got to evaluate that target and say, is that God honoring? Because for the Israelites, we know that historically, they've taken over countries. Their goal was to take over countries, but they weren't obedient to God. And what happened? They fell. Because they fell prey to uh, the, uh, out, the, the religions of the day. And they got seduced by it. Well, we could easily do that too. When we continue to focus on our own goals, our own goals and, in not, and fail to evaluate those goals as whether they are honoring to God or not and obedient to God, we too could fall prey to the religions of the day, right? And we could be drawn away from God. And so two of the principles come to mind here, humanity and obedience to God. That is our calling for our higher justice. All right, next. How about this lousy son of ours, Deuteronomy 21. For those of you who are come and continue on with Deuteronomy 21. Uh, okay, last chapter. The one passage that really stuck out for me is this, verse 18. If someone has a stubborn and rebellious son who does not obey his father and mother and will not listen to them when they discipline him, his father and mother shall take hold of him, bring him to the elders at the gate of his town. They shall say to the elders, this son of mine is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of his town are to stone him to death. You must purge the evil from among you. All Israel will be, be afraid, will hear of it and be afraid. Yeah, Henry. If you don't listen to your mom, we'll stone you to death. <laughs> it's, 
<laughs> I'm bugging Henry right now because he's wearing purple and he's just line of sight. Anyway, uh, is that what God is trying to say? <laughs> right? It, like, if you don't obey your parents, your parents have, are allowed to stone you to death? No, no, no. Let's, let's take a look at it a little bit closely. I highlighted it there, bolded it there, what? He is a glutton and a drunkard. Now, if back in the day, the drinking legal age is, uh, is 18, right? Well, 18, adult, adulthood, okay? You can't drink, uh, like, you just read Leviticus, you'll know. And then, uh, so chances are, this guy is not just any kid. He is a grown-up. So here, let me paint a picture. He lives in his parents' basement. Okay? He's also a glutton. So just think of a guy who plays too much video games. And, um, and, and he doesn't work, right? And then he exploits his parents. He's also a drunkard. So he's just basically just using his parents' money, exploiting the parents' money. You, you follow? So this guy here, yeah, okay, yeah, he should be stoned. <laughs> right? No, but no, it's not about that either. However, let's just analyze this. God says this, elderly parents, definitely the parents are elderly now then. And what did God commanded the children to do back then? Obey and take care of your elderly. Obey and honor your parents and take care of your elderly because they are going to be disadvantaged, right? They cannot survive on their own. They cannot, uh, they need care. They're needy now. What is this son doing? Exploiting. This son is exploiting his parents. This son is using their resources, using their very personhood. He's just there to use, his, use their land and just sits there as a glutton. And just continues to uh, use his parents like a, almost like a bank of M&D, bank of mom and dad. Just exploit, exploit, exploit. Not caring for his parents, not taking care of them, just continuing to abuse them. You know, the, um, when uh, Clement and I and Henry were, were now working closely with the Mineral Senior Society, sometimes they share about how children, how they see the children treat their parents, how they just want the parents to write a check for them, and then they just leave them. You know, hey, write this check, or take this money, and then like, give us the money, and we're gone, right? That's their visit. That was their visit for their parents. And is that Christian folks? That's not even humanity. You're, so our calling for higher justice is what again? To treat people to, as their persons, to respect their personhood. And this gentleman here is not respecting the personhood of his parents. You follow? And you know what? Uh, chances are, if you read your commentaries, this rarely, the stoning rarely happened. It actually never did. Because what happens next? All of Israel are afraid of this. The fear of the Lord. They respect the, the God's command that they never actually did. They actually uh, took care of their parents. They honored their parents and took care of them. So that's the whole idea. We have to read it, uh, this passage in entirety. So what is the next principle of a higher justice then? It is actually to love all human beings as God loves them. To not exploit them. To not exploit the elderly. To take care of the elderly. This is why our church is doing these projects, folks, of the car to go, of the food program coming up, of various things. We want to make sure that we have a holistic view of what humanity is. Not just teens, not just young people like a lot of churches talk about, not just uh, like, uh, you know, the fa young families. A lot of people neglect the elderly. 
because they're not cute anymore, right? Like, think about it, right? It's far easier to, like, I still remember, I have a friend who is the uh, executive director for Children's Hospital, and then he goes, he was John, like, he used to work for success and raising money for the elderly programs. It's far easier to show a baby <laughs> on a poster and say, donate to her, right? Look at the round eyes and the dimples, right? You know, it's so cute, you can't, oh, come on, right? It's very difficult to uh, fundraise for a person who keeps on pooping in his uh, humongous diaper and complains about taxes every day and whines about all the aches and pains he has and also complains that why are you not uh, married yet or complains about everything and it's very hard to raise money for that person. It's very hard to love that person, isn't it? Very, very difficult. Yet, we are called to love the elderly. And that's why we ourselves want to take up on that challenge. Far easier to love those who are lovable. Far harder to love those who are unlovable, <laughs> right? Love people, love our neighbors because God called us to love. That's our last principle. And so just to sum up, vengeance is not for us to take. Yet, and sure, I could say do not take vengeance. I could say do not do this, do not do that. Do not, uh, um, do not be greedy, do not exploit. But the overall emphasis of these three chapters, the whole emphasis, one might say, God, you are so mean. You're like destroying nations and everything. No, if we, continue, if we read this all in one scoop and draw that one valuable principle for us today, it's to love those whom we, whose society might not see as lovable in general, who may not, whose society may not see as lovable. Loving our neighbors.